Hello and welcome to the Shock Your Potential podcast. I am your host, Michael Sherlock. Each one of us holds great potential, and tapping into that potential is my passion and my mission. Shock Your Potential is a global leadership training company dedicated to creating positive, productive, and profitable workplaces. We develop, nurture, train, and guide leaders at all levels and at all points in their career. Through this podcast, I get to interview amazing leaders who are shocking their own potential and the potential of those around them. Learn more about us today at shockyourpotential.com and shockyourpotentialpodcast.com. And don't forget to check out my two best-selling books, Tell Me More, How to Ask the Right Questions and Get the Most Out of Your Employees, and Sales Mixology, Why the Most Potent Sales and Customer Experiences Follow a Recipe for Success. Join us now as we meet another great guest. And don't forget, subscribe, rate, and like us today. Hello and welcome to another episode of Shock Your Potential. My guest today is going to be someone who's going to talk about leadership issues especially, but a number of um, elements that really I think should shock us all and maybe challenge us to take a couple extra stretches in terms of uh, how we how we expand our horizon. Chris Widener is uh, named one of the top 50 speakers in the world and one of Inc. Magazine's top 100 leadership speakers. And I know he's spoken all around the world. And uh, I've, I've had the pleasure of, of watching a couple of your videos, Chris, and, and learning a little bit about you, but I know there's a wealth of information that you have to share, not only about you know what you do every day, but some of the great things that you've been able to participate in as a speaker at this level. So first of all, thank you, Chris. Thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I love having people, other speakers especially, because there's a such a great opportunity when you are a speaker to be able to learn from people, to motivate people, but really to also impart a message that's important. So I'm looking forward to picking your brain a little bit. But first of all, let me, I just gave you a brief introduction. Why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners? And what I always like to know is, you know, what way do you try to shock the people that, that you speak for or that you work with, some of your clients that, that allows you to shock them positively and leave a lasting impression with them? Yeah. Well, first of all, let me say, um, I love that you call it the shock, right? Because I actually say that all the time. I say, I am shocked at how many people or how many businesses, but it's almost always in a negative sense. Like mm-hmm. you just look at people or you look at businesses and you go, I'm just shocked that they would do that or that they can stay in business or whatever. So I like the fact that you put this, this positive twist on it. And, you know, I'll speak from my experiences as a speaker. You know, I, I came from pretty poor upbringing. My dad died when I was four, 28 homes, 11 different schools, shipped off to live with relatives twice, once in the fourth grade, once in the ninth grade, started drugs in the sixth grade, uh, made most of my money growing up betting the horses at Long Acres Horse Track, just south of Seattle. Um, I know so where that is. Pretty, pretty negative upbringing. Got my life turned around and began to speak, mainly because I had had such a terrible upbringing. I started speaking in high school, summer camps, junior highs, you know, colleges, that kind of thing. Eventually gravitated over the years to speaking to adults. and So I'll speak from the speaking industry business. Um, one of the things that I try to do, and it may seem simple, but even though it's simple, it's actually pretty profound in our industry. The bigger people get, the more ego they get. 
And so I always tell people, I'm going to be the easiest speaker you've ever worked with. And <laughs> frankly, that's just shocking to people because uh, especially when you get to the higher echelons and the more money you charge, you know, people think when they start charging more money that all of a sudden they should get all this preferential treatment. And, and so a lot of speakers that I know, when they come to a, a speaking engagement, they think that it's about them. Like they really do believe that they think it's about them. So, you know, there's 20,000 people in an auditorium. It's a big national convention. You've been paid 20 or $30,000 to come and give a one hour speech, but that group is there for three days. But for some reason, you think that that one hour is the epitome of the entire convention, right? So I always tell people, you know, I want you to know that I know that this convention is not about me. It's about you. So what is it that I need to do to help support your message? And frankly, because people have been burned so much by, and, and not even the most expensive speakers, just anybody that has an ego. And frankly, most speakers have a little bit of an ego. They think they've got something to say and it's important and it is. Um, but I think that it shocks people to go, oh wow, here's a guy who's pretty well versed in the industry, has done really well, but he's not an egoist, you know, he's not a megalomaniac. He doesn't think that this is about him. Because I tell people, I'll speak as long as you want me to speak. I'll, I'll you know, if, if the time shifts and you need me to move up or move back, you know, but there's a lot of people that don't do that. They think that it's all about them. And so I think that that's one of the ways that I positively shock people. Um, I always say that the bigger you get, the more humble you need to be because you'll hear all sorts of stuff about how great you are. And pretty soon you start leaving your introductions and pretty soon you've got on your contract that, you know, in the green room, you need ham and cheese sandwiches at 72 degrees cut up into the shape of stars. Right. And I, it's just, and frankly, there are people like that in the speaking industry as there are in a lot of other industries. So I try and shy um, serving them rather than, you know, trying to be superstar. I love it. It's so, it's so true. And uh, I was just speaking at a conference a uh, week before last, and I said to one of the, uh, the organizers, I said, now, just so you know, one of the reasons that I like to come early is because I'd like to be in some of the other sessions. I like to be able to pull the theme through. I said, but every once in a while, if I'm, if I'm able to stay a little longer or come a little earlier, I've had conferences where another speaker is backed out at the last minute. Oh. Um, okay, I'll fill in. I'm not going to charge you anymore. I'm already here. And that, um, and this gal looked at me, she goes, Oh my God, that's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> I said, hey, well, you know what? I, I love being on stage. If it gets me another opportunity, great. But sure. mostly I know what the pressure is on you when you're putting these things together. And the last thing you want to do is have to panic if somebody doesn't show. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, it's, um, you, you speak primarily on leadership. Your background is, I mean, that's, that is, there's so much, you know, richness of yourself that you share in just, you know, what you did in your explanation there. But, you know, I think so many times from our own adversity is where we really gain a lot of our words of wisdom or, you know, here's, here's the things we've learned. One thing I had to say is I noticed um, we do a very similar thing. When I speak, I always say, I travel everywhere with my mirror. Here it is, you know, oh, I can't yeah. And sometimes I have to look at it and go, gosh, that doesn't look very good. Yeah, and I, yeah. I know that you have that same thing, trying to t make sure that your message is reflective to people. And um, one of the messages that, you know, that I like that you convey is the sense of often we don't need to be taught something brand new. We just have to be reminded to do it. Yeah, How that's that old G.K. Chesterton, uh, the old G.K. Chesterton quote, people need to be reminded much more than they need to be instructed. 
Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, most of the time we're talking about simple concepts, but the question is whether or not people practice them. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, thinking about what you've done and how you build your business, and you've had many different elements to your business. I know you're publishing things, speaking books, um, a lot of coaching and, and client work. But when you think to the evolution of your career, what's one of the biggest challenges that you've faced and how did you either overcome it or are trying to overcome it or maybe tried and, and it didn't work? I think differentiation is probably the biggest thing. Um, you know, I do coaching for people who are in the speaking business. I've been in it for 30 years and have achieved some pretty good things. And so I feel like I can help people sort of cut their, their uh, learning curve. But one of the first things that I had to learn, and I actually hired a coach in the like mid-90s. I hired a guy, paid him like $7,500 back in the mid-90s to coach me for a year on the speaking business. And one of the first things he said to me was, okay, Chris, you are no longer a motivational speaker. And I <laughs> said, well, well, why? And he said, because there's like 10,000 of them and you have no differentiation. And so it was counterintuitive to me. And it's very, it, it, this is really regardless of, of um, uh, what business you're in. If you, if you own a hamburger stand, you know, if somebody says, you know, what do you do? I own a hamburger stand. Okay, there's a million hamburger stands or more in America. What differentiates you? I'm an accountant, uh, you know, whatever it might be. Um, and so for me, I think the hardest thing has been differentiating myself, but, but purposely differentiating myself so that I'm not just being different for the sake of being different, but I'm being different and niching down further and further into my, uh, into my specific um, area of expertise. So I started out as a motivational speaker and this guy did an interesting thing for me. He said, you know, we really need to help you niche. He said, I want you to get up and walk over to your, to your bookshelf. And so I did walk over to my bookshelf carried the phone with me. This was pre-cell phones. I don't even think I had a cell phone. And he said, okay, I want you to look at your bookshelf and I want you to tell me what topic is most uh, represented on your bookshelf. So I looked, you know, looked it through and I said, well, leadership. It was, it was quite easy, leadership. And he said, okay, leadership. That's what you're most interested in? I said, yeah, probably. I, now that I think about it and I look at my bookshelf, it's what I read most about. It's what I study. And, and he said, have you ever been a leader? I said, well, yeah, I was captain of my baseball team, basketball team, football team, quarterback on the football team, point guard on the basketball team, played two years of college basketball, president of my class in, in college. Yeah, I've always been a leader. He said, great. You are now a leadership speaker. I said, okay. <laughs> Right. You know, and so then I had to start, you know, developing content around that that was transferable. And, and then from there, um, I realized that, okay, there's 10,000 motivational speakers, but there's a thousand leadership speakers. And so I ended up working with a guy named Jim Rohn, uh, who many of your listeners may know. Uh, a lot of people know him. Uh, even if they don't know him, they hear Tony Robbins talk about him because Tony, uh, Tony got his first job uh, at age 17 working for Jim. I spent the last seven years working with Jim. When I was working with Jim, uh, the, the president of Jim Rohn International said, you know, you should really talk about influence. So I said, huh, why? And he said, well, based on your past and then looking at where you are today, he said, you, you know more people than anybody I've ever known. You can pull your cell phone out and there's senators and professional ball players and billionaires and stuff. And I've never really thought about that. So I took about six months and I started studying influence. Why is it some people have influence and other people don't? and to, to whatever degree. And then, so I mixed even further. And then from there, I realized that there was technique-based influence and then there was character-based influence. Based on, you know, technique-based is what you do to people. 
you know, how to make a presentation, how to handle objections, those kinds of things. Character-based influence is more about who you are and developing and cultivating trust, respect, admiration, and loyalty. So I niched even further, character-based influence. That's a pretty tight niche. But what's interesting is, is that as a motivational speaker, I was making $1,500 a speech. As a leadership speaker, I, I did that from about $4,500 to about $7,500 in speaking from uh, influence from about $10,000 to $15,000, and then a character-based influence, $20,000 internationally, $30,000 plus. It's so counterintuitive to think the tighter you get, the more you can charge. Now, you create a smaller world, but you create much more um, impact and desire from people to hire you when they want that particular topic. And it doesn't matter what your topic is, you know, uh, but that, that, that understanding of distinction and how it will grow your business and become more lucrative is probably the biggest uh, obstacle and making sure that I wasn't just being distinctive um, for monetary sake or for whatever, but really to do it um, based on my strengths, my interests, and the things that I could communicate well. And that's difficult for a lot of people. How do you go from just being a hamburger stand to being, you know, something very distinctive? Or, you know, I was talking to somebody the other day, helping a speaker define their, their business. And I said, um, you have to create a category. So for example, if you don't have much money and your toilet breaks and you look up plumbers, what do you look for? When you Google, you Google inexpensive plumbers. You, there's a category. <laughs> there are people yeah. who are, if you're wealthy and, you, and you, uh, your toilet goes, you Google best plumbers, right? And so yeah. the price doesn't matter. If, uh, if, if, if the ceiling is pouring water because a pipe broke, you, you type in emergency plumbers, right? right? So based on what the other people are looking for, you create a category and it doesn't matter if it's a hamburger stand, a plumber or a speaker, you want to own and dominate that particular category. Very true. It's great advice. I'm thinking even just the evolution of my business since I had written a book, but I was still working and then all that change and you know now i'm writing and i'm speaking and and i think at the beginning for me with the evolution of my business was the sense of you know where do i fit i talk about leadership i talk about sales and the customer experience and in the background was always this concept of my business name shock your potential and it wasn't until probably the last six months where i finally had my headspace in the exact right spot where i went oh well if that's my business concept and i'm already doing that that's how i'm talking about it on my podcast that's got to be the evolution of my business is going off the, the concept. And so I play off the, the letters in the word shock. And the very first one, the S stands for stand out. How do you stand out? How do you make sure that, you know, clearly I do it a little bit with the color of my hair and, you know, I have some fun things like that, but it's, it's really about getting people, whatever your business is or whatever you're trying to strive for, that sense of what makes me different, what makes me unique, and how do I make sure that when people think of me, they think of those things first. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you can be a leadership speaker or you can be a female leadership speaker or you can be a female technology speaker or you could be a millennial female technology speaker. And the more I you not be no, I, no, I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying you, I'm saying, I'm saying, I'm saying as an example, right? Um, and so creating that category, if you're just a leadership speaker, there's 10,000 people, but if you're a female leadership technology millennial speaker, when, they, when, when IBM puts on a conference for all their salespeople and they want a 24-year-old or lower up-and-coming female speaker, that's a pretty small group of people to pick from. 
And that's mm -hmm. why you can charge more and more likely to get the engagement. See, I thought you were complimenting me. Thank you. I, you know, look oh. like a millennial. There you go. <laughs> my son, by the way, is laughing since he knows I'm a grandmother. <laughs> <laughs> it's great information so far. You've had so many pearls of wisdom here that you've already shared. And I, you know, I, I know that I told you, especially in the beginning before we started taping, that my focus is to highlight excellence. Highlight excellence in leadership, sales, and the customer experience. And you you made a really great point in the beginning, and I think it's why I try and focus only on the positives, is sometimes we're shocked by so many negative experiences, and it's so easy to talk about them or highlight them or be frustrated by them, which is kind of my mindset of just saying, let's focus on the positive. So I ask each one of my guests, if you, what experience you've had or you've been the recipient of that was an excellent example of either leadership or sales or customer experience that left an impact on you and that influences and um, kind of how you operate today? Well, I'll give you a sort of a general sense, but with a couple of specific examples, but the general sense is customer service. I am regularly shocked by how bad customer service is. And the fact that business owners don't understand how much money they can lose by keeping a certain amount of money in a current transaction versus the other one. So I'll give you a couple examples. 25 years ago, probably, maybe even a little bit more than that, 25, 26 years ago, when I was out in Seattle, I used to take everybody that I went to lunch with to one specific Italian restaurant. We're talking three times a week. 50 weeks a year. I mean, I was going to this place 150 times a year. That's a lot that's, of pasta. <laughs> that's a lot of pasta, right? But it was great. It was great food. People loved it. It was a, it was a one-off restaurant. It wasn't, you know, all a garden or something. It was really good food. And uh, so, you know, average bill, I don't know, 30 bucks. So well, you do the math. It's uh, $4,500 a year I was spending there. Um, you know, pretty, pretty good amount of money. Um, and so, um, or maybe even more than that, and I can't do that. I was going to say, I think it's a little more than that, but go ahead. Yeah. So 150 times, you know, 30 bucks is 3,000 plus another, yeah, 4,500. So anyway, that being said, um, one day I noticed, I'm sitting there with somebody, can't remember who I was with, and somebody got up and left from their table, and they used to serve bread in a bread basket. You know how sometimes they have little loaves and they cut them, but they don't cut them all the way through, so you have to grab them and tear them apart? Mm -hmm. The waitress goes and gets the bread off of their table, walks it right over and puts it on my table. No. And I said, um, excuse me, I just saw you bring that bread from that other table. She goes, oh yeah, well they didn't eat it. And so, and I said, well, is that standard operating procedure? And she said, oh yeah, we do it all the time. Oh I said, no. I said, that can't possibly be, you know, uh, up to code, right? With the food department or, or whatever. And she, oh, well, fine, I'll go get you some more bread. And she marched over. Well, um, I, I knew of the owner, so I wrote her a letter. And I said, hey, I just want to let you know that I was served this bread off of another table. It can't possibly be uh, up to code, serving food that has already been served to some other patron. And she basically wrote back and said, get a life. Oh, it's no. Basically, no, no apology, no nothing. It's like, I can't believe you took the time to write this, blah, 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 you know, yada, yada. So that was probably 1993, and I lived in that town until, uh, well, I was doing business in that town until about 2002, so nine more years. So now you do the math, nine times 4,500 would be 
$40,500, right? So I'm like, she just lost $40,000 from me because she told me to get a life when I, as a person who came to a restaurant 150 times, okay, so you get the point. That's the kind of stuff you get from a lot of people. Now, positive. I'll give you one just from the other night. We're going out to a movie, Denise and I, my, my fiance, we're going to go to a movie. We go to this brand new big pizza joint, um, Chicago-style pizza. It's packed. You actually order your pizza while you're waiting so that they try to cut the times down. And, but we were on kind of a tight schedule. So I'm like, okay, how long does it take? 30 minutes tops. So we wait 15 or 20 minutes. Then we sit down and about 20, 25 minutes into it, we're sitting there and we're getting close. So um, we said to the waiter, hey, do you know how much longer this is going to be? Because we wouldn't have stayed if we'd have known we were not going to be able to make it to our movie on time or, or cut it real close. And, oh, no, no, no problem at all. Um, let me go check on it. Next thing you know, the manager delivers the pizza. And he says, hey, I just want to let you know, this is totally comped, no bill tonight. Um, you know, and, and but he gets it, right? He, you yeah. know, what does that pizza cost? Okay, well, it costs $20, it costs $20, but his real cost is probably $5. Yeah, absolutely. And now here I am on an, on an internationally broadcast, you know, uh, thing talking about uh, the name of the restaurant. I should probably, I think it's uh, Don uh, Luminati's or something, Lumati's or something like that. It's, it's here in Scottsdale. Um, but the fact is, is how much you gain from giving up a little bit. And of course, Nordstrom, you, you said you grew up in the Seattle area. Of course, Nordstrom are everywhere now. But that's what they're known for, right? They'll take anything back, no questions asked. And people might say, you mean they'll take back a $200 pair of shoes? Yes, because they know that if you take back a $200 pair of shoes, you're going to get the $500 jacket and the $700 dress and the $2,000 tuxedo and, you know, make more money by shocking people with amazing customer service. I've always thought if I didn't speak about leadership, I'd, I'd talk about customer service because I'm, I'm so finely tuned to how people either get it or they don't get it. And they're tripping over nickels getting the dollars. And the people who, in today's day and age, unfortunately, the people who get customer service are shocking because mm -hmm. so many people just have no clue about how to keep people happy. I agree. And it's, it is very frustrating when we, we have more examples of the negative than the positive and that we have to be so shocked when it was a great one. You're like, wow, that was fantastic. I can't believe it. Yeah. I've actually sat down with people on the phone or in person. I said, I want to help you make a business decision here. I will, you know, maybe I was looking for a refund or something, but I'll say, I will gladly let you reject my refund. For example, $80, no problem. I'll eat it. No problem. But if you'll give me the refund, I will continue to shop here three times a year, five times a year, once a month, whatever, and help you make thousands of dollars in the coming years. Or you can reject it and I will, and they'll say, well, don't threaten me. I'm not threatening you. I'm helping you make a business decision. Exactly. Would you like to keep my $80 and forego thousands? Would you like to give me my $80 back, which would demonstrate a, a, a mutually beneficial relationship and I'll continue to shop here. And I bet 95% of the people say, no, no refund, yep. no money. Yeah. Sure people don't get it. So the ones who do are actually the shocking ones in this day and age. <laughs> and, and it is, I think it's really important. That's it's one of the reasons I love talking about sales and customer service and, and leadership all together because they really flow. 
You can't have an exceptional customer experience if you don't have leadership that has moved in that right direction, mm -hmm. that believes it, that puts it, that makes it a part of their sales process, that everything comes together to, to have it be one. And I've, I've had people say, oh, but we really just want to focus on, on sales for this conference, or we just really want to have your talk be on customer experiences. Okay, great. I'll, you know, if that's what, how you want me to describe it. But as we talk, you can't help but see how one without the other, you you have a tripod that you know won't stand up. Yeah, for sure. And, and if you want to have that, then you have to look at all three because it's not just about that person that delivers the service or experience. They have to work within a culture that that uh, thrives in that. Or else, if they're that great and the and the culture isn't, they'll be going anyway. Yeah, you know, they'll exactly. go somewhere else. So as we near the end, and great pieces of of just you know. Great things, I think, for all of us to think about because every time you have an experience, maybe that's not the positive, you have a chance to also help that business make a difference. Even if it's just a, hey, you know, the comment card or how you leave the comment card or a, you know, well-placed phone call to the manager later, which I, I do often. I write about great experiences, but I never, I never publicize negative, but I will always try and reach back around with those when they're that extreme because I figure I owe it to them to at least give them, you know, some appropriate feedback on that. Yeah. So uh, the last couple questions that I'd like to ask everybody is is to um, have a little bit of reflective time and you know knowing what you know now and and the you know journey of your career and the you know journey of your life. If there's any point in time you could go back and talk to the younger Chris and give him any advice that would have shocked your own potential farther or faster or kept you on the exact same path, at what point in time would you go back to, to Chris and what would you tell him? Uh, I'd probably go back to my young twenties and just tell him to be a little more patient. Um, ambition is great because ambition, you know, pushes us forward, but, um, I think ambitious people can get frustrated and sometimes frustration spills over and sometimes you end up breaking relationships that, that, uh, could have actually been better had you not gotten so frustrated. Um, I had one of those relationships with a, a, a company that shall remain nameless. Um, but, uh, they, um, uh, well, let's just put it this way. I got frustrated with the way they were handling some things regarding my speaking and some of that stuff and, uh, and ended up just um, very frustrated. And the owner of the company, uh, we ended up having some frustrations and, and, um, and ended up, I ended up going my separate way. And by the way, let me just say, it was not Jim Rohn International. I, I didn't want, <laughs> we talked about that earlier. I didn't want people to go, oh, wait a minute, he talked about it. No, not at all. Jim and Kyle and I had an amazing relationship, different company. Um, but um, I think for me, just to be more patient, patient with people, patient with processes, um, uh, and, and just understanding that everything doesn't always come at once. Um, and I think that's particularly hard for ambitious people. Mm -hmm. Having the patience to sit back and, and relax and breathe through it yeah. Yeah. and find that you can just let things happen at the time they're supposed to happen. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Very good. Well, I know we'll have all of your contact information on our show notes as well, but what are the best ways for people to find out more about you? Uh, if they want to know more about your speaking or if they want to know more about some of the books that you've written, where's, where's the best place for them to go? Sure. Well, they can go to um, Instagram is at Chris Widener Speaker. Facebook is at Chris Widener Speaker. Twitter is at Chris Widener. Um, and then my, my website is uh, chriswidener.com. Um, so any of those ways, uh, if they're interested in coaching or any of that kind of stuff, they can just write me an email, which is widenergroup at gmail.com. Very good. And I know Widener is just like the word wide, W-I-D-E, and NER, so you're N-E-R. I always uh, try to make I say it's, it's wide with a NER on the end. 
complied with the NUR on the end. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so before we uh, say goodbye to our listeners, our, do you have any last uh, pearls of advice or words of wisdom to share with them? You know, it's funny. I get asked this question a lot. At the, it's like a, it's a, it's a great catch-all. And I always tell them the same thing. I got some advice a long time ago. And it was actually in a very profound way, if you have a minute. I was at a conference. It was very strange, almost eerie. And I'm not really kind of an eerie kind of woo kind of guy. <laughs> I was at a conference and standing in this big group. And I was standing next to a woman who's probably mid-50s. And then obviously was her daughter in her mid-20s, late-20s. And they looked at me. And the younger one got this really weird look on her face as she looked at me. And her mother said, is that him? And, and I was like 23 years old or something like that. And I was at this conference, professional development conference. And, and the daughter goes, yeah, that's him. And the mother says, well, tell him then. And what ends up that this girl had woken up in the middle of the night with this dream where she saw this man she was supposed to give some advice to and saw his face. She was so weirded out by it, she woke her mother up. They were at, they were at the hotel where the big conference was at and said, I just had the weirdest dream. I saw this guy, clear as a bell, and I'm supposed to give him this advice and da da da. The very next morning, we ended up standing next to each other. And apparently, I was the person that appeared in this girl's dream. And uh, she said, and I said, okay, give me the advice. She said, be a voice, not an echo. I'm supposed to tell you that. Be a voice, not an echo. I still remember, I can close my eyes, I can picture the room, I can picture, can't picture the people, but I can picture how the whole thing went down. And I have remembered that advice now for 30 years. And it's been something that's driven my, my book writing, my speeches. I don't want to just regurgitate what, every, what everybody else says or what somebody else says. I, I know that, you know, the book of Ecclesiastes says there's nothing new under the sun, and there really isn't. But there are different ways of putting it and different ways of bringing it out of your own experience. And, and so that's what I always challenge people is be a voice, not an echo. We got plenty of echoes. We got plenty of people that are just regurgitating whatever they heard on, on TV or whatever they read or whatever. Make it your own and then present it to the world as a, as a voice, not an echo. So I, I, it was this kind of some ESPS uh, conference that you were at? No, no, no. It was, it was very funny. It's, it's strange how the whole thing happened, but uh, the way that it happened has helped me remember it for 30 years. That really does. That's amazing that she had that dream that you were right there and you got that. Yeah. And, and do you think when you think back on that, that that was a message that you definitely had to hear at that point in time? Sure. And I don't even necessarily think for that point in time, I think there's, there's so little thinking that goes on nowadays. You know, I even just look at politics and, and, you know, people either watch MSNBC or they watch Fox News and they just regurgitate whatever it is that Rachel Maddow said or Don Lemon or, you know, uh, Sean Hannity or Rush Limbaugh. And you're just listening to, you're just listening to somebody say what somebody else said because somebody else said it. And you don't really think and delineate your own thoughts and, and come up to something comprehensive instead of some simply packaged little thing in a bow and here's what you should believe. And so I really do believe that we need to do more thinking and more analyzing and come to our own uh, ideas about things rather than just, you know, taking the talking points and spitting them out. And the same thing happens in, in the speaker business, you know. Um, I heard a story once about a guy who, uh, a friend of mine, um, who was speaking after lunch and he got up and he started telling his story, his personal story. 
And everybody started laughing and giggling, and he checked his fly to make sure that his fly was up. He couldn't figure out what. It bothered him so much because people were laughing and elbowing each other. And he finally, first time in his entire career, broke out of his speech and said, I'm sorry, but something's going on. I'm just wondering. He went to the person in the front row, and they said, oh, the speaker this morning told the exact same story. Oh, no. So my friend Mark looked like a thief, even though he was telling his own story. He found out who the other speaker was. What ends up the speaker had heard him give his speech and figured, but this guy didn't know that Mark was also on the calendar for the engagement. He came in, gave a speech at nine in the morning and took off and flew out of town and left Mark looking. And and that stuff happens. People, I mean, every conference I go to, I hear people trying to pass off Jim Rohn's advice and and they don't even (laughs) give him credit, right? You know, so it happens all the time. And and, uh, I just think it's important to come up with your own stuff. I agree. Without a doubt, no matter what you're doing, have integrity on your on your own or else give the credit where the credit is due. And that way you don't ever get into trouble. Yep, for sure. Chris, that, thank you so much. I love that too. Be and be be the voice, not the echo. That's really it's a that's a um, very poignant message. I, I, I really appreciate you sharing that. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for being on Shock Your Potential today. I really have enjoyed visiting with you. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you had me on. It was great. Thank you. And I look forward to staying in touch with you. Thank you. Have a great day. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Shock Your Potential. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and like our podcast. And for more information, find us at shockyourpotential.com and shockyourpotentialpodcast.com.